Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. All right. So I am so excited again this week. uh, I get to talk to Sandra Hunter. And I am so glad you're with me this week and so excited to hear about so many things that you're doing. I honestly don't know how you even have time to sleep. (laughs) I was reading your bio and I was already exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, I'm exhausted too. So that makes two of us. Thank you so much, Melissa, for having me on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you this morning. No, it's it's my pleasure. I, you know, you have such an interesting background to me. Um, you know, being a professor of creative writing, but then deciding to launch your business within a pandemic. Um, you know, wild women leaders of color. I mean, I love the title, but you know, do you want to tell us a little bit about what prompted you to do that? And, you know, why the pivot? Cause we know a lot of women are pivoting these days. Yes. Um, but you know, this is a, it's an exciting time, but it's also kind of like, I mean, it can be scary, especially if you're, you know, an older woman who's had kind of this salary coming in (laughs) and now you're like launching your own company so yeah so uh yeah the the big pivot uh within six months i've moved house twice i moved up to portland from california and then i moved again within portland and that second move was prompted by the fact that i finally decided to leave my husband after 22 years of marriage wow that was a major decision and what was coming up from underneath was this need to respond to so many examples of seeing women in difficult situations, these incredible, bright, brilliant women whose light is being snuffed over and over again. And I've seen it in academia and I've seen it in other workplace environments as well. And particularly in academia, I was watching my young BIPOC women students with all these great ideas and they were certified and qualified and they got the interview and they got the job and the same damn thing happened that happened to me. It looks a little bit different now because there's a lot more gaslighting and there's, well, was that a joke or was it not a joke? And it's white tears, you know, all of that stuff is the stuff that I didn't come up with, um, but it's still the same thing. And so you see that light being extinguished and you see those dreams Mm. being broken. And it was, there's a gap here that we need to fill. And that gap is providing mentorship from professional women to young women entering the workforce so that we can say, we've got your back. 
We've got this steel clad fabric of support for you wherever you are, whatever happens to you. When We can tell you when to hold, what to drop. We can tell you when to go to HR. We can tell you, you know, you need to take a breath into where you are and release that stuff because that's someone else's story. Those comments are someone else's story. That's not yours. And I do feel that with the subversive attempts of the stealth auntie network we can do this globally we can make such a difference we can take down racism in the workplace so that had been bubbling up for some time and the decision to end a marriage and to pivot away from academia was kind of joint it came at the same time it was this release this knowing that i was moving into the work that i was meant to do Yes. Well, and a fancy new haircut and, you know, you're just transforming. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you talk, I mean, you talked a lot about, you know, like stressful situations that women are going through. Uh, And then you also hit on the stealth auntie network. So like, how does that, how does that come about? Did you just have such a broad network that you could you could reach out and everybody was like, yes, I'll be an auntie. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's an ongoing process. And let's talk about the, the, the program itself, um, which goes through three uh, modules, is a, it addresses the very necessary release of stress induced by workplace racism. And women are carrying this. And it's not just racism, it's patriarchalism, all those things that hold women down that make us need to put on a second suit of armor in the morning because we've got our work armor and then we've got all the stuff that happens to us in the workplace. So it's tiring. I mean, are we surprised that women of color constitute the largest group in the US that are affected by emotional and physical stress. I mean, are we surprised? We're the ones that keep the pharmaceutical industry afloat, basically. Yeah. So that stress, those stresses that are repetitive, that keep going and keep growing, we keep inside Mm. and we keep pushing it down. Yeah. And you can tell because the stress rises into the shoulders. We have stress in the neck, in the throat. Those are all certain indicators that you really need some stress work release here. So um, that's what the first part of the program does. It moves women into a practice of being able to manage their bodies through stress. So by using breathing techniques and stretching, which won't necessarily be new, but we forget. You forget to use that, right? Mm -hmm. And the minute you're in a stressful situation, your shoulders start climbing, your voice closes down because all that, uh, your vagus nerve, which runs from the base of the skull, down into the gut has all these little nerve endings around the throat and around the face and that's what's causing the stricture and that's what causes your voice to close down so to get your voice back to get you centered in your power we do stress release and then once you've learned those tools that you can start taking it doesn't take long i have clients who said to me at the end of the week i was going into these meetings and i knew how to breathe before i went in i was taking my space my shoulders were back and i presented differently so it's not you know a slow transformation here in terms of stress release but we also have to understand that stress is cumulative mm-hmm. right and it's yeah. not just from where we are but it's been passed on so if we've had a mother who's been in stress for various reasons, 
we will accumulate that. And she's accumulated from her mother and back and back and back and back generations, okay? So even though epigenetics is still gets some skepticism, there's growing evidence to support the fact that this is intergenerational. And so there's a lot that has to be released, right? Until yes. you can feel strong in yourself and feel that you can breathe and that you have your voice back. Because once your shoulders hunch, once you get tight, your neck tightens because of this parasympathetic nervous system response, you've lost your voice. Your voice is your identity. Like literally and figuratively. <laughs> yes. yes. So you are being judged on the fact that you can't speak. Yeah, because you don't have it, you're being you're being closed down. So that first two months seeks to address that seeks to introduce strategies that you can use as you go through stress and as you start to manage your body through stress. And then we move into story. So once your voice is getting a little bit released, mm -hmm. we can start moving into story and your story is where you are, what you've been through. And you're also reaching back to the ancestors. What are their stories? What did they give me? And, you know, very often women will say, I don't know who my ancestors are. Mm. That's okay. Right. We can still find them because you know something, if you're an artist, if you are resilient, if you are greater organization, that gift has been given to you by someone in your yeah. family. It didn't just appear in you. Mm -hmm. So you have ancestors who are paying these gifts forward to you that are waiting for you to acknowledge them. And once we do work with ancestors and get women so grounded in that sense of being supported with these amazing generations of women hollering out, you know, we've got you move forward. Don't sit in stasis. This is we pass the baton to you. You're carrying the torch, mixing lots of metaphors here. You need to walk forward and we've got your back. Yes. So that's how we pay it forward. They've got my back. I've got the next generation's back. And the next generation is going to have the next generation's back. And that's how we take racism down in the workplace. And so what at the end of this, um, this period of time, this, this, these first four months in the program, they are then, the, uh, women then have the option to be introduced to mentorship. That's entirely up to them. It's not, you have to do this. It's just, do you want to? And I facilitate the introduction between mentor and mentee. Oh, awesome. then mentors take control of how they move into that relationship. And I provide all the support. So I've got the videos and the guest speakers and the handouts, and I'm available for consultation just as I've been throughout the four months, but it's just, you're in charge. Now you get to opt into this if you want to do it. And they build that relationship over two months and they, they do it by exchanging stories with their mentees whose stories mm. will be a little different. They can choose to braid stories if they want to and present that. And they can post that on our website. And then off they go. They've got their mentee. Wow. And, so, then, and, this is, and this is a global program, right? It's not it just domestic. It will be. It okay. will be. So <laughs> it's just right now we are in the inaugural group of women moving ahead, uh, moving into mentorship. And the what's really cool is that there's a lot of university interest now who mm -hmm. want to move the program in-house because we've got mentors and mentees, we've got maintenance workers, we've got faculty, we've got staff, we've got admin, we've got everybody who would be brilliant mentors. And then we've got the student population who are ready. Yes. So oh, exciting. wow. 
Yeah, it is exciting. It is but exciting. I have to say, Melissa, one thing that I, I'm excited to start working if, if this happens, you know, it's still in the talks stage. If this happens, I'm excited to work with them. I also want to reach into trade schools. I also mm -hmm. want to reach into underserved high schools because that's where young women need it the most. I mean, we've got research yes. to support the fact that women have reported that the lack of mentorship over and over again has denied them the availability of professional development, of being seriously considered for promotion because they just don't have that factor. And I believe we can make the difference if we have mentors there. So, and just imagine, right, if, we, if this goes global, you've yes. got mentees who are awake at three o'clock in the morning. I've got an auntie in Indonesia. I've got an auntie on the other side of the world who's ready to talk to me, who's got my back. And then we start to create this beautiful, beautiful, closely woven fabric that is always there. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the legacy you have as a professional woman going forward. Well, and I will tell you, I remember being 18 years old and I worked at uh, Citibank at the time. And I think I had just moved into a position uh, of management where I had like a hundred and something employees. And if it wasn't for Ida Jones, mm. she was the best mentor anyone could possibly imagine. And I think about her all the time because she was, she was so matter of fact, um, very tall, thin woman of color. Um, you know, there weren't, weren't a whole lot, um, but she just took me under her wing. I had no idea at 18 how to manage a hundred and something employees and they were collectors. So that's a little bit of a different I mean, collectors are, they have to be bold. They've got to, you know, get on the phone. And, yeah. and so learning, you know, like management style and, you know, I wasn't really even, I think I had just started college and was commuting back and forth to San Jose state. And I thank God for her. She remind she is a stealth auntie for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it, you know, I think it, it does take a special person who really understands. I love the fact that you're facilitating that because a lot of times mentors also need help with mentoring. Um, I of course have had just some wonderful opportunities to be mentored but I look, you know, as I mentor others, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, is there a better way? Can I provide more tools, more information, more resources? What stories are relevant? So, yeah, um, that's a really good point. And I'm so happy for you. You're you're so lucky to have been mentored in this wonderful way, especially at age 18. I can't believe you were given that responsibility at 18. That's amazing. <laughs> so you were clearly a shining star even then. <laughs> Um, but yes, I mean, you bring up a good point. And I just want to mention that the Stealth Auntie Network is the mentorship part of the program. Mm -hmm. And you do, to become a fully fledged uh, Stealth Auntie, you go through that program. Uh, you, well, it's not called a program, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a voluntary mentorship where you step into leadership. The fact that mentors need mentorship is really key. And in my program, there's a back end to the program which provides a lot of support. So you have access to... Uh, videos that I do, uh, guest speakers, we have a forum, we have group meetings. So it's really necessary that mentors have ongoing education. 
Yes. And this is not necessarily through my um, uh, my organization, although I would provide, you know, these are links that you can use. But mentors, if you are stepping into mentorship, you have a massive responsibility for continuing education. And that's yes. something that I think mentors need. And mentors also need a mentor of their own. <laughs> so it's kind of like this endless circle, right? <laughs> and that's another thing that I want to do. I don't know if we talked about this before. The program that I'd like to launch in five years is called Loop. Oh, so we'll okay. have professional women of color who are mentoring young women about to start their careers, who are mentoring college students coming in, who are mentoring high school students, who mentor middle school, who mentor elementary, who mentor kindergarten, who mentor preschool. And the preschoolers mentor wow. the professional women of color. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny because, you know, I think the older I get and now I'm watching my mother interact with my grandkids and all of the energy that she gets. And she just, you know, she continues to be like, oh, my gosh, did he say, you know. And so it is interesting how we teach um, each other mm -hmm. and, and your focus really from a um, intergenerational focus um, is, is really amazing because I think a lot of times, you know, when you get to a particular age, you start thinking about ageism and, you know, all of the things that occur when you're, you know, maybe over 40 or 50, right. um, when it comes to your own career. Um, so, I mean, are most of your, uh, you know, mentors at a particular age or where, where do they come to you? We're all over the place. Okay. I mean, there's no specific age because I appeal to um, professional women 40 plus. Okay. So there's, there's a, there's a broad spectrum there. Um, and I feel that anybody has the ability to be a stealth auntie. Everybody has that capability. If you've grown up in a family, you have, you have the capability to be a stealth auntie. Even if you've grown up largely by yourself, you have that capability. It's a transformation that's extraordinary. Um, I, I practiced parts of this when I was uh, still teaching at college. And one semester we weren't <clears throat> able to visit the school. So <clears throat> we had um, my students write to middle school students. Mm -hmm. So they were literally handwriting letters that they mailed to the students. And these middle school students were just, oh my goodness, someone at college is writing to me. That was lovely. But what I saw was how seriously my students took those letters. And we would have moments in the class, we'd, we would have a dedicated 20 minutes. Okay, this is where you respond to your, your student. And they would, they would be so serious. Okay, I have to write the right thing. My, my student needs you know, help and I, how, do I, how do I do this? Right. And it was just this real awakening of responsibility that starts at a very grassroots level, right? You have one student here you're responsible for, mm -hmm. but it grows. I mean, that's the point of it. You plant that extraordinary seed of responsibility. And so that you start to believe that that's possible for you to do in other areas with other people, with other ages. And that's what knits us back into community by all of us taking responsibility for ourselves because community has been so trashed and so violated and broken apart by patriarchalism, by racism, by, you know, you know, violence, which we've seen 
this, right. you know, this week, yeah. very sadly, you know, just violence on violence. And if I'm not saying we can we can stop that completely, but I think we can mitigate it mm -hmm. by having a, a stronger network of people that have got each other's back. I had one of my students say, I saw my middle school student on, on the street. You know, I, I saw him at a, at a, I don't know, some restaurant, a Denny's or something, not a Denny's, a, a fast food place, like a Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. And, you know, he said, oh, I just saw him and I went to talk to him, not realizing that this was school hours. The kid shouldn't have been out of school. Right. And immediately there was this kind of, oh, my goodness, I shouldn't be here. And so they had that conversation, <laughs> which is lovely, right? It yeah. was completely unexpected, but it was lovely. And then the other one that wow. I wanted to mention to you, because I've been just been talking about this, this future program called Loop, was that my students came in to learn how to write children's stories with kindergartners. So mm. there was a school close to the, this was obviously pre-COVID. Yes. And it was a school, an elementary school that was quite close to our school. So I took my class over and their job was to listen to received and perceived language. So received language is the language that they're using, that the little ones are using, and then perceived is what they can understand, but not necessarily use themselves. So this was very important for them as they're writing this kids stories you know just how are you going to appeal to these little ones so my students you know coming from the classroom environment sat down um, and I said we're going to have to sit on the floor here because these are little ones so we sat on the floor and they're ready and the little ones just climbed on them and they sort of hung on their neck and sat in their lap and it was a very different <laughs> experience of storytelling and the little ones were lovely um, because when my students came back with their own stories because they'd, they'd started with already published stories to get an idea of what yeah. little ones loved. And then they came back with their stories. The kids were just amazing. Read that bit again, because that's my brother. <laughs> and for my students, when I went back at the end of the semester and, and I always asked them, okay, what was the worst part? What was the best part? Best part was interacting with the kindergartners. Yeah. Because oh, I can imagine. it changed everything for them and it changed the way that they saw themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what's so cool about mentorship. You see yourself differently. You see yourself as having something of value to offer. And when you're in a toxic environment, as yeah. many women are, this is something that changes their perspective on their life. But I've got this. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. And so your background in creative writing and critical thinking, mm -hmm. um, how important is that as, as people think about, you know, the release of stress and, and, you know, racism and all of those things, when you're talking about writing a story, cause I feel like you're, you know, you're giving this pathway of being able to, you know, kind of change your mindfulness it, uh, you know, de-stress. Mm -hmm. And then you go into this storytelling process. Um, and, you know, my husband, my husband was an oral tradition storyteller. So I kept wanting him to write things down. 
<laughs> um, and write stories, which he never would do because he was really about the oral tradition, um, which was which was awesome. Um, obviously, he was a performer, entertainer, but also an educator. But it's amazing how the stories can really transform someone's perspective. Um, so what that process of writing, mm-hmm. you know, how does that provide you know, the value as you're going through this process? Well, um, writing your story connects you to the somatic stress release that you've been through and that you're practicing. So the actual tactile sense of the hand moving across the paper, the tactile sense of holding the pen in your hand tells the mind, I'm externalizing this story onto the paper. I'm externalizing this part of myself that might have been taking up so much room in myself that has frightened me so much I don't want to talk about it. I'm Mm. externalizing that. I'm birthing this onto the paper. And it might be a little painful as you birth it. But once it's out, women keep saying, "I, I thought it was such a terrible thing. And now that I see it on the paper, it doesn't have control over me anymore. Wow. So that's that's the value of learning that you create that space that you then can take up and you become full and you become whole. You become grounded and have self-confidence and self-worth to go forth into the world with this ironclad shield of story around you that repels all those ridiculous little attempts at gaslighting or, you know, isolation or marginalization, because that's not your story. It gives you the strength to arrive in a full sense of yourself, instead of being at the whim of social media advertising any kinds of attacks on you, because you see women being beaten down by this all the time. And that's where critical thinking comes into Mm-hmm. By being able to spot what is advertising, which is most of what we get through social media, and knowing that this is biased because they've got a product at the end of it, it helps you to take control of your decisions. This new site is coming at me with a dot com. I know, therefore, it has advertising. I know, therefore, that the stories that they that they promote, that, the, that they're reporting, are influenced by the advertisers. So I need to find a new site that doesn't have a .com, that is Associated Press or Reuters or some or Al Jazeera, for example, that don't have advertising in them. So that kind of reporting is less biased. And that's what you want, and hopefully unbiased, as close to unbiased as you can get. But that's what critical thinking does for you so that you become in charge of this person who you're growing into. Wow, that is that is powerful. So what what's interesting to me is because I have so there's so many things that you've done and I know I'm not going to have enough time to get into all of them because um, I know you've done diversity, equity, and inclusion at in, you know in your college setting. Um, you know, obviously working as a professor, but then you've also uh, you know written books. Um, and so let me jump over the, the DNI portion for a moment and just really capture some of the, the books that you've written. Um, I know losing touch was one and tripwires. And I think small change is like an award-winning, um, book as well. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how these uh, stories came about? 
Sure. So the novel that you're referring to, Losing Touch, is a fictionalised account of my family's um, move to London in the 1950s. But I recast them as an Indian family. My family is Anglo-Indian, Portuguese, Dutch and Scots. So we're not fully one thing or another. Um, but I cast them in this story as, a, as an Indian family. And also the father figure was suffering from mus um, spinal muscular atrophy, which my father did have. And it shows how he changes during this journey as being this brash, cruel young man to as his body starts to deteriorate and retreat from him, he becomes more understanding and aware of himself and, and does transform. That's his journey through that book. So that was that. And everybody's got one of those stories in them. So that was mine. I got that one out of the way. But the books that you mentioned, uh, Tripwise and um, Small Change, are all set in um, politically or socially traumatic backgrounds. Mm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> including London, including Paris. But, you know, they're, they're, these are backgrounds that are difficult for the immigrant or difficult for children. And very often my stories, the heroes of the stories are children. And mm. it's watching them become resourceful and their loyalty and their compassion for each other and how they lift each other up. They show us the best of humanity. So even though the situation is dire, they can make things work for themselves. There's one story called um, Say That You Saw Beautiful, not Say That You Saw, I'm sorry, um, Gifts We Carried With Us, which is a story about young Moroccan girls who are in marriage, in marriage, they're, they're in marriages from a very, very young age, from 13 and 14. And they decide to escape their, their abusive husbands. And it's the story of how they escape and one of them is pregnant already and they get down to the coast and they find you know through all these different methods they find the the boat you know the, the inflatable boat that's going to take them to Spain where they're going to own beautiful houses and you realize that none of them knows anything about navigating or how they're going to get there and but the point is it's not the tragedy of that but the beauty of those relationships and the beauty of hope Yes. Oh, wow. I, I So where do you get these? Are they? You can find them on Amazon. Okay. Um, you can find them at Barnes and Noble. And I believe, yes, Powell's in Portland still carries them. So awesome. Awesome. I have been to Powell's. Yes. Monumental. So is still there. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, okay. So, so kind of take, I, I don't even, I mean, it, there's so many stories um, and works that you've done with respect to, um, you know, uh, creative writing and short fiction, uh, a girl needs spiked shoes. I love the, the sound of that. Um, but I, you know, it, can you talk a little bit about how um, you perceive diversity, equity, and inclusion and some of the success that you've seen? Because you're, you're really fighting racism in a, in a way that is so fundamental to each person and mm -hmm. their own perspective. I feel like every time I talk to you, I feel like I leave and I, I have this grounding sense of, of center, um, mm -hmm. around, you know, just kind of coming back and thinking through my own life and 
what it what it should be and what it means. But then there's all these impacts that I want to make, um, both as a as a person, as a, a man, you know, a manager, as well mm-hmm. as, you know, leader and, and uh, a company. Um, yeah. And I think there's so many companies out there trying to take diversity, equity and inclusion and really make it impactful. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's all about a person. Yes. And that's what, going back to Wild Women Leaders of Colour, that's the whole mission. We start grassroots. So we start with the individual because that's where nothing can change unless the person realises, oh, I need a different mindset. I need to ask questions. And I've had, you know, non-BIPOC women ask me, what do we do? How can we support you? That's up to you. You need to make those decisions yourself. So for me, DEI is about taking responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, non-BIPOC women who are listening, you can, if you arrive in a store and there's another person, of, there's a person of color there, let that person go first. You know, insist that that person be served first. If you have the opportunity to choose um, a BIPOC doctor, Choose the BIPOC doctor if they have the same qualifications. You know, there are so many things that you can do in your everyday life that mean that you are stepping out of lip service into action. Yes. And these aren't my ideas, by the way. I mean, Resma Menachem talks about this in his amazing book, you know, Your Grandmother's Hands. He has so many incredible Mm. ideas. Yes. But ultimately, it's about looking, instead of blindly pushing through the world in the way that we've learned, is understanding that education is ongoing. And we've talked about this right in the earlier part of the show, that if you understand that you are continually being open to new ideas, new ideas, not the algorithm that follows you around on the internet, but by taking responsibility to find challenging ideas that will challenge your perspective, it doesn't mean that you have to become a different person. You might, which would be amazing, but it does mean that you're you're allowing your brain to stretch in ways that gives you a brilliant new perspective on what you're already living. There's a way um, in in writing workshops when I teach those and people talk about being blocked, having writer's block. And one of the ways that you can get yourself away from that, there are different methodologies, but this one tends to work, is to work in a different medium. If you're a writer, pick up a camera, pick up a paintbrush, you know, use clay, something that's tactile, something that, that takes you out of your medium and forces you to look at the world in a different way. I'm, I do ice photography, that's the thing that I use. Nice. And it may, but it all connects back to writing. So if I'm taking photographs and I see some filament that this tiny filament of ice that reaches across to another block of ice is just, oh, that's connection. That's what people do. We, we gradually reach out these filaments of connection. I mean, there's so many ways of seeing the world in so many different colors and so many different spectrums that we forget because we're so used to. We, you know, we finally arrived at something and it works. So we're going to continue to do that. But the challenge is do one thing this week that's out of your comfort zone. Talk to somebody in line. Reach out to somebody you wouldn't normally speak to. Pick up a different food in the grocery store. Pick up a star fruit. Pick up something that you wouldn't normally eat that's not packed with sodium and glucose and all the rest of it and fats. You know, do something different. Um, go to a different food cart. You know, in Portland, we have so many food carts. And I'm, I, I, Melissa, where are you? I'm in uh, California, just You're outside in California. the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. 
there's there's all the food trucks I know in the, yes. in the north of San Fernando Valley. Go do something different because um, food is such a great way of changing your mind about something. I've had friends who, you know, we go to an Ethiopian restaurant for the first time. It's just, oh, I never knew vegetables could taste like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's another way of changing your perspective. Yes. Yes. Oh, and I love it. You know, I was just at an Ethiopian restaurant the other day and it was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because you, I mean, you talk about stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, and I love the fact that you talk about, you know, if you're an artist, you know, kind of go outside your, mm-hmm. your medium. I don't consider myself necessarily a photographer, but I love photography. Everybody knows I'm always taking photos. Um, but I love landscape photography. I love, and, but, but for me, probably over the last five years, um, since my husband has, you know, passed, I think every, everything has felt outside of my comfort zone. Yes. And, and, you know, I got to the point where I just decided, you know, I'm pretty much out of my comfort zone. So let's just stay outside the comfort zone. (laughs) (laughs) but it has been richly rewarding just to, you know, like even just the fact it's so easy for women to say no to something. It's like, you know, why don't you come over? Let's go here or do this. And it's like, no, that's okay. I'm not going to do it. And I started really small just by saying, I will never forget um, a wonderful woman at my church asked me to go on a trip to the Bahamas. And I was like, the first thing in my head, I was like, no. Mm. And I said, you know what? I need to start saying yes. So I said, you know, I'm going to say yes. Let's do it. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, I really, I love what you're saying because it's, it so helps people step outside. It's okay. Everybody gets nervous about stepping outside their comfort zone. But a lot of people don't know you're outside your comfort zone and you would be amazed at the accolades that come when you start doing something different. It's like a whole a a new voice coming out of you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I I love this this idea of, you know, you're you're being such a warrior woman here. I've been so far outside my comfort zone. That's become my comfort zone almost. Right. (laughs) This is just kudos to you for doing that, Melissa. Um, but there are all these things that accrete. And the example I give in workshop is the hermit crab. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you've seen them wandering around. They've got little bits of shell and anemone on their, you know, because they hide. And then, but when you see them strolling around, they can look like little divas, right? Yeah. So um, there was an experiment done by a marine biologist and they scrubbed the shell of the hermit crab gently and then put it down next to this little gaudy pile of beads and little bits of broken mirror and all the rest. And this poor little crab sat there. It was all frantically touching its shell to see if there was anything left. And there wasn't, and it sort of sat there and sulked for a bit. But then it started picking up these new things and putting those on top of its shell. You know, all these little shells, little broken shells and colorful beads and little flashy bits of mirror. And when it sat in its favorite spot, it looked just like the pile that it was next to. But when it strolled around on the sea bed, it looked amazing. It's just, yes, Straight here I am. 
<laughs> I love it. And so I think, you know, when we create like, you know, I've moved into photography and you've moved into photography and what has helped me continue to expand is to start looking at the work of different photographers that I wouldn't normally know about. I didn't even know about Julia Margaret Cameron. Mm. And it was just, wow, this is a woman who brought photography into the world. It's just, yes, I want to know more about you. And then from her, who are the women painters who painted landscape, who painted portrait, who are never acknowledged? Let me find out about those. Who are the women writers that have been overlooked? Who are the women musicians that have been overlooked? And you keep opening and opening your lens yes. until you have such richness around you that you feel like you, you're comfortable there. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny that you say that because I immediately was thinking about when you were talking about women, non-BIPOC women that are like, you know, what can I do? Yeah. And it can be as simple as, reading a book that you would never read by a person of color, or, you know, it's amazing how small some of these actions can be to just start intentionally mm -hmm. thinking differently. Because mm -hmm. I think in some ways, there are so many people that don't even realize how much of a bubble they live in um, until they intentionally go out of their comfort zone. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, and yeah. I think, you know, to close the, the circle there as well, I mean, this is such a valid argument, you know, just read a book, right? Read a book, mm -hmm. A Woman of Color. But it, yeah. also, it also applies to those of us who are, who are, you know, leading the way and all the rest of it, you know, with our banners and, and shouting for justice or trying to make justice happen. Um, but it also applies to us being being patient as well. Not, I don't, patient is the wrong word, but inclusive. Right. Being inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are a non-bicop woman and you're terrified of saying the wrong thing, just ask a question. Yes. Just come and say hello. You know, we actually know how to say hello to you too. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, we, we can cross the divide by, by um, starting those conversations, which can be difficult and bumpy and clunky at first. But if both sides are willing to agree or willing to be receptive, let's say, to a different point of view, that becomes something created by, by itself. Yeah. And it's amazing when you start looking for something positive in somebody, like their beautiful hair or their glasses or, you know, whatever. You would be amazed at how much that really starts to open a conversation that, right. um, you know, where you can really get to know somebody. Genuine curiosity. I think you've yes. nailed it there, Melissa. That's absolutely <laughs> right. Genuine curiosity instead of saying, oh, where are you from? Just going on those, you know, well, assuming that you're the nanny, you know, assuming right. that you, you know, instead of making those assumptions, put those aside and see that person as a human being, just as a human being. Yes. And talk to them as a human being. And that's how this can grow. I love it. Well, I absolutely love all the work that you're doing. Um, you know, whether it's wild women leaders of color, the stealth <laughs> auntie network, all the Yay. storytelling and uh, books that you're writing. I mean, it's such wonderful work to really tap into the human potential. Thank you. Um, it is so wonderful. It has been such a pleasure 
to meet you. I hope that we continue to stay in touch because I will definitely be following Sandra Hunter. Um, <laughs> and we're looking forward to keeping up with Loop and, and wow. you know, getting involved. So anything we can do to help support the work that you're doing. Um, and I have a, I have a son up in Oregon, so I'm gonna have to call you next time I'm up there. You definitely <laughs> will, Melissa. I don't think this is the last time we'll be talking. I feel yes, a definitely not. amount of stuff to say to each other. Yes, for sure. So it has truly been a pleasure. I want to thank you so much for being on the Jolly podcast. And I look forward to having more conversations with you, um, you. as you go. So um, please do tell people how they can reach you, if there's any any way they can get hold if they're yeah. interested. So um, like everything else, I'm still in transition of my website. That will be happening in a month. Uh, but you can reach me on Facebook, Wild Women Leaders of Color. Ask to join the group because that's where all the cool stuff is going on. And um, there will be another workshop on ancestors, reaching your ancestors on the 9th of June. So if you follow in the Facebook group, you'll get all that information. I'm also on LinkedIn and you can find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Sandra. It has been a joy. Thank you so much for this. I've... Yes, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.